Gentlemen, today's guest, Jeff Putnam, is an entrepreneur. He's an author. He's written the book Empire Divided and The Perimeter. And he talks with us today about making sure that you are there for your family. Yes, live out your dreams. Yes, work hard, but build something worth building. He talks about that and the fight for masculinity in this culture. So make sure that you tune in right after this. Warning, applying these principles may change your life. People will look at you differently. You'll walk straighter, live bolder, and find out who you are. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Atcher. I'm glad to have you on the show, man. It's been awesome being able to interact with you online and see the stuff you're doing. And uh, I, uh, I'm really excited about it. Why don't you tell our, our audience a little bit about yourself and maybe your story? Well, uh, currently I am a self-proclaimed writer. I don't know if, I mean, I think you can call yourself a writer after you've published at least one book. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, married, father of nine, all with the same woman. I know that's rare. Uh, still with her, by the way, very happily married. Um, just a blue collar guy from South Carolina. Um, spent the majority of my younger twenties and later twenties beating my head against a brick wall, working construction jobs and manual labor jobs. And I finally worked my way up to a really nice position with a general contractor based out of San Antonio. I worked there for a few years, but kids kept coming. I don't know what caused that. (laughs) And it started to put a strain on my wife and I's relationship uh, because I was always gone, always on the road. And I said, you know what? I'll find something else. It's not going to be a big deal. I'll just find something local because really not interested in getting divorced. Uh, so I quit the job, went to go find something local, and of course I'm an idiot for that. It was right around the time we were still reeling from the 2008 recession. Jobs were hard to find, housing market was all jacked up. Everything's price-wise, you know, $7 a gallon for gas out west. And uh, the only thing I could find was like a butcher job at a grocery store down the road for eight bucks an hour. That was a big change in income. And it just wasn't covering it. There's nothing I could do. No other jobs I could find. Uh, And eventually it started, we got to cut off cable. We got to cut off cell phones. Cars getting repoed. Bills are getting stretched. Now we're evicted. Ended up in a hotel for two years where I found one of those, if you work today, get paid today, labor jobs. You know, and uh, did that for two years, making 56 bucks a day until my wife's sister came back from the Middle East. Her and the kids moved in with her and I shot back out here out east. Uh, We're with the hope that jobs would be better. Turned out they were. I found a good paying job and moved my family here about three months later and work that same job just being afraid of ever being homeless again poured everything into it. I spent more time working than you know I did anything else. 
got tired of doing that because it was feel like I was going nowhere and I couldn't stand to be one of those guys that I worked with who had been at the same factory for 30 years. Uh, decided to go out on a limb, started a company called Rugged Legacy Grooming Supply, uh, men's grooming company, beard bombs, beard oils, things like that. And that idea came to me because I was already making them for myself because I've always had a beard and you know longer hair. And I didn't like spending 20 bucks for something at a big box store. But I could just make it myself in big batches. And most of the stuff smelled pretty feminine or like a 14-year-old boy on prom night anyway. Right, right. So... <laughs> Uh, I was like, you know what, I'll just sell these. And then that kind of spiraled out of control from January 2019 when I first hopped on Twitter to go, hey, uh, nobody has ever heard of me or knows me, but I'm going to be selling some stuff. Come look. And just started tweeting like crazy and building up an audience. And uh, by luck or timing or a combination of both, it was right after P&G had done their whole toxic masculinity ad with Gillette. And so I I was very fortunate to be able to capitalize on everyone looking for any other company than, <laughs> than Gillette. So Rugged Legacy took off pretty well. And then through that, you know, just what happens when you start a business, you network with people, you uh, meet new and interesting and more successful people than you. And next thing you know, I'm coaching people on how to start their business and avoid the pitfalls that I had to struggle through and hanging out with really cool people and authors and like, well, I've always wanted to be a writer. So, Hey, let me give it a shot. And then two years later, here I am with a company, a coaching business, uh, a strength program that I just released, uh, several eBooks on side hustles and things like that, two published books and, a fairly successful podcast and I don't even know how it all happened. <laughs> it just kind of cascaded down out of control, but you know, here I am. That's awesome. So are you doing the, that is your full-time gig now is, is writing and, and the, the rugged legacy writing rugged legacy pretty much operates all on its own. I don't have anything to do with it other than own it. I have, you know, the manufacturer, they make everything. I've got people that ship it and pack it and handle all that. And, um, I was able to get it successful enough where I could outsource all of that pretty early. And so all I do is own it now. Um, mm -hmm. that brings in some money and then, you know, I take on business clients, uh, for coaching, uh, book sales, and then of course, eBooks and programs, stuff like that, that I'll write and sell. I like having the office, you know, 14 feet away from the bed, <laughs> the commute's much better. And I'm able to spend more time with my wife and my kids and make up for a lot of time where I'd spent, you know, six, seven days a week at the at the job, just afraid to ever be broke again. Yeah. So nine kids, what's the age range of that? 22 to six. 22 to six. Wow. Yeah. Old I've got a couple been pregnant forever. <laughs> I've got a couple 22 year olds myself and uh, my youngest is 16. I've got four. I think after that one, we're like, okay, I think I'm done. So kudos to you, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, we were never like, okay, well, we're going to have another kid or we don't want another kid. It was just eh, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. Do you, uh, 
do you get the time that you want to get with them now that they're all you know not your home? Do you get a little more time with each of them? Uh, the older four have all you know they're grown, moved out. One just shipped off to basic training back on the first of this month. Um, I've got one living in upstate New York, uh, two living in West Texas. But yeah, we're all still you know close and whatever. But more time with the younger ones that I missed with the ones that are older back when we were struggling and I was trying to, you know, dedicate everything I had to just making money. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a very nice change. And I can say just from being a work at home entrepreneur, it's a whole lot better on the family life. Yeah. I imagine that the shift to from working blue collar and working with your hands and being physical to, uh, you know, sitting in an office, you know, you probably, you know, you mentioned your strength training program. That's probably something you really had to be intentional about in making that shift. Right. It, it kind of was, um, my son that just shipped off to basic for Father's Day a while back, about a year, maybe a little longer than a year ago, he had uh, said, Dad, for Father's Day, I want to join a gym with you. And he had been working, you know, he bought his own car and all this other. So he bought a dual membership for he and myself. And I'd been going to the gym regularly, not really knowing what I was doing, but just to go because it felt good, you know, working out um, every morning before I went to work. Because it, it wasn't fair to my wife for me to work from seven in the morning to seven at night and then come home, grab gym clothes and say, all right, I'll be back in an hour. Right. You know, so I would go from like 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. every morning. And I did that for so long when my nine to five, because I, I carried that nine to five two years into owning my business and everything. Um, but when COVID came around back in 2020, is the middle of it, they laid me off completely. And I was just so used to going at 4 a.m. I just kept going at 4 a.m. Um, and so it, it was an intentional thing that I had to make it happen while I was working that job. And then it just became a habit after that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was looking at your website and I loved uh, reading your stance on, uh, you know, kind of, it's kind of like your identity politics statement. You know, I, I don't know. I, I found it interesting and I thought it was intriguing. Thought maybe you could kind of explain uh, some of that, you know, how you identify and, it, it, you know, I don't know. I, I found it really interesting. I think our, our listeners could benefit from it as well. What was your what are your take on that? Yeah, I've got a big problem with you know this modern wave of intersectionality, right? You know, it's well, if you're white, you're probably a Republican, or you're oh you're straight, so you probably hate this um, other gender oriented people, or if you're black, you're not allowed to be a, a Republican, or you're a sellout, or if you're a registered Republican, you certainly can't be gay, and you know all this just random crap that has nothing to do with one another, but it's these little boxes and that people are supposed to fit into. Well, here's my thing. I'm a guy, straight white male from the South. My wife is a Hispanic woman. We have a gay son. She's Catholic. I'm a pagan. There's zero identity politics going on in this house. All right. Like, as for identity politics, we don't. We don't identify. Um, 
It's just a mess, man. It's one of my biggest gripes with how everything is supposed to be fitted. Oh, well, you know, you if you like guns, you're a, a Trump supporter. I'm actually all for the, you know, we could just turn into 50 separated states for all I would give a crap at this point. You know, I'm... I don't, I don't buy into that whole, you know, well, you look this way or you like this one thing, ergo, I can identify every single other virtue or characteristic or preference that you would possibly have. You know, it, it's just a problem for me. Yeah, I, I think it ruins a lot of a lot of good political discussions when we have to completely identify. Yeah, honestly, like any, how many things, you know, all those things that you listed, how many of those things really have anything to do with identity anyway? You know, I mean, like who you are has nothing to do with who you voted for or what you like or what you believe. Like, I mean, I, I think they're related sometimes, but that doesn't mean they're who you are. You know, I mean, those things can operate within the same sphere but you know it's just like when my son uh, came out that he was gay i said uh, okay is your room clean <laughs> i don't care and he was like wait wait you guys aren't mad my wife and i were like no we probably actually kind of figured you were you know we just wait on you to figure it out um but oh yeah, I told him I said, you know, I don't care what you put in your mouth as long as it's not meth. Go clean your room and make sure you take the trash out. I don't give a crap. You know, it, it's. But yeah, I, I had a problem a lot. with family because my family looks at me as, oh well, you're this, you know, strong white macho guy, and your son is gay. So my son can probably kick your tail. You know, there's this weird thing that sexual orientation or who you vote for or, you know, what amendments you like and don't has anything to do with the content of your character. Like your sexuality, your politics are the least important things about who you are. Like they, they have absolutely nothing to do with who you are and, and, you know, trying to fit everybody into these neat little boxes when it's, it's just not possible. You know, that's like I said, that's one of the main things that um, why we are in society where we are now, where no one can have a conversation and why I wrote the book Empire Divided. We're completely divided. There's no such thing as a United States. You know, there's a there's. America, and then there's all the little tribes that make it up that are supposed to be united behind one flag, but that flag doesn't even mean the same thing to everyone, much less what they all believe in themselves. Right. It's not how we imagined it to be, right? It's not what we would want. I almost think that division might be intentional, too. I mean, I think it's fueled because if we're divided, then, you know, somebody gets what they want. <laughs> yeah, you're manageable, right? Yeah. Um, so what what do you think, as we look at what those tribes are, do you think we should lean into that? Do you think we should... You know, how, what does that look like for you? What do you, what do you, how do we, how do we solve that problem? I don't view tribalism as a problem unless it is based on geographical proximity, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, um, creed. If your tribe is based only on those things, don't get me wrong. 
I'm not going to tell you how to run your tribe. Right. You know, uh, for example, you, you, you look at Israel, that's a tribe right there. Right. We, it, it, the, the Jewish peoples are a very tribal people for the most part, the ones that are very um, devout, um, like the Hasidic Jews, for example, they're very tribal and they won't allow you to marry outside their faith and culture and all this other. OK, cool. That's your tribe. You do you. But what we've seen, especially within the last I want to say 10, 15 years, has been an uptick on ideological-based tribes. And that's where you get, you know, your your gay Republicans, your 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 uh, your southern white you know, race haters, <laughs> you know, or or, or or whatever you want to call them. And they're and they they're like, well, well, you're supposed to be this because you're this color or this orientation or this wherever you live. You're supposed to fit into this stereotypical box when tribes now, because of how interconnected we are as a people, they're based on values and ideologies. You know, I, I'm, I'm a member of a tribe called the Fraternity of Excellence. And we are made up of everybody from outlaws to government agents of every sexual, or, I'm not joking, um, from every sexual orientation, country, creed. I've got people that I call brother because we have the same core values and they're in Pakistan right now. But the values that we believe in and the type of men we want to be and the type of future we want to see for our children, we're all aligned in that. And so tribalism of that nature, that's what we should lean into. We should absolutely reject uh, the admission of people to our tribes that seek to destroy the things that we value. You know, I'm all for gay couples owning machine guns to defend their meth lab if that's what they want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't care who you are, what you do. As long as your values aren't, hey, we need to destroy those people with those values. And that's what you see a lot of. And being told by mass media or um, the government or whoever trying to shame you or guilt you into saying that you're a terrible person if you don't tolerate the people that want to destroy everything you care about, uh, I I can't get behind that. If that's yeah, what I, I you know, if you're gonna call me a terrible person because I don't want to be destroyed, well then I'll take the label. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the general narrative these days is. <laughs> You know, they, they want to put that idea that the other is somebody that needs to be hated, somebody that's evil. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, I think most people in general don't hate anybody. You know, I think the average American doesn't look at a, the average white American doesn't look at a, the average black American and say, I hate you because you're black. But then what happens is we have the media and everything else that stirs up and looks for reasons to stir that up, you know? So they stir up you know the the black person hating the white person and telling them hey that white person hates you and then the white person says oh well fine you're gonna hate me i'm gonna hate you and then it just it builds man and i don't know man yeah, it's like well, that's what's supposed moment. to bring unity that's what's supposed to bring unity right there's no us there can be no us by the very definition if there's not of them 
right? There's always an us and them. You take it back to the Cold War, it was us against the commies, right? World War One, it was us against the, I mean, World War One and Two, it was us against the fascists, right? There has to now it was uh, 9/11. It's us against those people in that sandbox over there. This always has to be an us and them to get people to unite behind a common cause, right? The problem is people are so ideologically spread out in America that there's not a single common cause that anybody is willing to rally behind other than leave me alone. That's the only thing that you can get to unite people, but leave me alone isn't isn't unification. It's it's division even further. And so that's why you see with, you know, like you said, it's kind of the agenda. And I don't like using that word because it makes me feel like I need a tinfoil hat. But right, right. We need you to hate these people because they hate you. Well, who said they hate me? We did. Okay, you know, you're you're on TV, I guess. <laughs> and it, it, it falls into that. And like I said, we are a divided people. You know, America is an empire. It is a confederacy of multiple tribes brought together, just like the Iroquois Indians were. You know, they weren't, the Iroquois wasn't a tribe. It was a confederacy of multiple tribes that said, yeah, we could probably all live together. It's, the, it's very much the same. And. The problem is, just like the Iroquois, some of those tribal differences started to expand and exacerbate problems towards it. This ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. Now I don't like these other people, so we're just going to leave the tribe. We're, we're going to leave the Confederacy. We're our tribe. You're still not one of us. And that's what's happened you know, in modern American society, hell, modern global society. You have a different political belief. Well, I can't associate with you. You like firearms? I can't associate with you. You want a vaccine? You got a vaccine? I can't associate with you. That's ridiculous. But that's human nature. You, We strive to have an us against them biologically and subconsciously. If there's no us and them, then there's nothing for us to work towards making stronger or making better. And until we have an intergalactic enemy, nobody on this planet is going to be unified with everyone else. Yeah, that's the um, I'm not and I hate that because it sounds goofy. Right. But unless we had E.T., you know, coming down going, I'm going to kill you all. The planet's still not going to be unified. And even then, there's going to be that one dude going, well, maybe we deserved it. You know, and well, well, fine. You're one of them now, and it's just further division. And it's because of those petty little things that people get hung up on that the core values that really matter are overlooked. Which is why you were talking earlier. You can't have a decent political discussion, right? Well, you have an R in front of your name or a D in front of your name. So even though you and I agree on this, I'll never admit to it because you have that R or you have that D. Who cares, you know, (laughs) but that's that's where it is. Kind of brings us to 
the next book that you wrote, the, the perimeter and the concept mm-hmm. there. My picture in my head that I can imagine is, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to say probably about 2016 when that election started and everybody just started getting all hyped up. I, it was just too much, you know, and I, I remember kind of complaining about like, why are we so divided? And I have this crazy hippie friend who said, man, you just got to plant your garden and love your family and take care of your neighbors. And you focus on your circle, you know, and that's kind of the image that I'm picturing as I'm, you know, reading about your book there. And, you know, uh, that, you know, that's, I think, honestly, the answer to it is how about we tend to what's ours, right? I mean, that's kind Mm -hmm. of that, that idea of individual sovereignty. Yeah. You know, I'm friends with Jack Donovan, and he wrote, you know, The Way of Man, Becoming a Barbarian, A More Complete Beast. And more recently, he wrote one called A Fire in the Dark. And I had him on my show to discuss the book. And one of the things that we covered was in that book, he created a new myth. And mythology has always been one of those things that has drawn mankind in, right? Some supernatural divine thing that kind of explains what things are, right? And so the myth of the first men is that you have these group of men that for that came from somewhere, and for whatever reason, they can't go back, right? They can't go back. So where they are just roaming in these wilds, you know, in, in the rugged wilderness out beyond the pale, as it were. They have to create a new world for themselves because they can't go back to the old one. The reason why is not important. The first thing they always do as darkness starts falling in is they build a fire. Now that fire lights up that darkness and brings all of the chaos of the darkness to order. Everything within that ring of fire, which is what you see on the cover of my book, The Perimeter, is brought to order. It's, it's, it's illuminated, and it's everything within that, that perimeter of light is now controlled by these men, these first men. That is their perimeter. In the night, beasts and other forces of chaos and darkness and destruction will approach that perimeter. And it's their job to defend it and to defend that fire that gives them light, gives them security, gives them warmth, gives them a home. And that's very much the same thing. They have to worry about them themselves and secure the perimeter and defend it against all the trash that's out there. Just like your, you know, you said your hippie friend said, love your family, take care of your neighbors, take care of your community, plant your garden. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing, but you also have to be vigilant and not let them come within your circle because not everybody who wants to come within your circle is going to be welcome or even amicable. Some, some of them want to destroy you. And that was, that gave me the idea for the book, the perimeter, uh, which is a follow-up to empire divided. Now there's another case for it though, that, a lot of people tend to get stuck on you know, on social media we have these echoes or you know echo chambers and these little circles where everybody within our perimeter 
they all agree with each other fundamentally. And that's great. It's a great way to build a community. It's a great way to uh, have that sovereignty within a tribe of people, right? We all agree this. We don't, we'll live our way. We don't need everybody else. Problem is those forces of darkness, that evil, that chaos, that unknown that exists just beyond that perimeter is still there. And it's still looking for weak spots around your perimeter. Now, you can have a tribe of small, you know, a small tribe of, you know, 10 to 15 people. But eventually, if you want that tribe to survive, that tribe has to grow, which means people are having babies. New members are being sought out and brought in. Well, that only works to a certain point before you have to expand that perimeter. Because you can't be all piled up in that same little circle of light. You're going to have to expand that perimeter and build bigger fires and build new fires. The only way to do that is you're going to have to venture out into the darkness and you're going to have to conquer some of that chaos and bring it all to order, which is the calling of all men since the dawn of time to begin with. That's what we do. We bring chaos to order. So it's not enough for good men to sit back and go, I can't see it from my front porch. So it's not my problem. You can do that with a whole lot of stuff, but you can't do that to the stuff that's happening right outside your door. You can't do that when the values you're allowed to teach your children at home start to be looked at as maybe we should outlaw this because we only want these people and these kids learning these values, these government approved values. Well, now it's time to take a stand. Now I'm going to have to go out. I'm going to have to grab my stick, my torch, my spear, whatever it is. I'm going to have to fight back this darkness and say, no, 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 buddy. You do you over there. But if you come in here, I will destroy you because I'm not going to let it happen to my people. And that was the whole concept behind the perimeter. Sometimes to defend it, you have to expand it. And to defend order and bring in more order, you have to attack and destroy chaos and bring it to order. So with the social media circles, everybody goes, well, you know, I'm only going to associate with people and uh, look at the content that I like. And so, for example, let's say if you and I are, you know, we're content creators, we, we have a message that we put out for men. What if I only shared your content or if you shared your content with me and I shared my content with you and we never shared it with anyone else? There's a lot of guys out there that will never hear that message. So they're out there roaming in the dark and they would prop and there's a possibility they would make a valuable member of the tribe. If only they knew that there was a better way than just wandering around in the dark. So you have to expand that perimeter and cast more light on darkness if you want your tribe to grow and if you want your tribe to survive and thrive, which is more important than just getting by and surviving. Well, and I think about, you know, there's other tribes who may have some different values and then some values that we share. And, you know, we can make peace and have allies, even though we have things we disagree on. And you don't have that if you only stay in your circle, you know, but I do agree our circles, you know, like our family and our, our close knit community has to be solid and has to be 
cemented, you know, like I, I love people always say, well, you know, you're so closed minded because I don't like to change my mind about what I really believe. And I'll say, I'm actually OK with that. I'm OK with being closed minded. I'm an open person and I'll listen to all kinds of ideas, but it doesn't mean it's going to change my mind, you know, and I think that's that's OK. You know, that's OK to say I'm I will listen to and in, engage with things that I disagree with, you know, rather than just accept it all. And, um, you know, I think that's a, a wise position to take. You know, if there's something that, you know, is a core value, you don't have to change it, you know. Exactly. You know, and, and people make a big deal about it when when you say, well, I'm never going to change my beliefs. Well, this belief upsets that person. Well, this person doesn't have to be a part of my circle. You know, uh, I don't hate this person, but I also don't actually care about this person. I can be indifferent and apathetic to other people and still not hate them. You know, that's the one of the other things that uh, I talked about in the book. We're supposed to pretend and make a theatrical display of emotion and virtue of how much we care about people we've never heard of in a place we've never gone to. And we've been doing that forever. Oh, we can't let these random click, click and tick, tick tribes over here be murdered by this other click, click and tick, tick tribe. America must do something because justice. I don't know these people. I don't care if they kill each other. <laughs> They're not my problem. And that sounds bad to say, but you know what? That's not my people. That's not my tribe. Now, if people that on my street start doing that, okay, maybe we need to do something. But if it's happening somewhere that I'll never go with people I'll never meet, I don't have to care. But saying that is a very radical thing. And they go, oh, you're just, uh, you're a horrible, heartless monster, or you lack empathy. I don't lack empathy. I just don't misplace my empathy. You know, one of the things that I talked about in Empire Divided, and this one rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but it's true. You remember a few years ago when Italy was closing off its borders because people uh, were fleeing the failed state of Libya on boats and floating across the sea, trying to get there and enter Italy as refugees? And Italy had their Coast Guard, Navy, whatever you want to call it out there, uh, stopping them, saying, no, you can't pass. Well, there was one thing that popped up, and it was on every social media. It was on every newspaper and magazine cover. It was an image of a three-year-old boy that had drowned at sea because the, they were all on a boat coming from Libya. The sea got choppy. People fell over, and some people died. And one of those people was a three-year-old little boy that washed up on an Italian shore. And the image was of him. I think it was some red shorts, a blue shirt, and he was face down in the sand. I don't care about that kid. Can I empathize with that kid's father and his people? Sure, because if I was in their position, it would suck. But somehow, people here in this country took it upon themselves to say, well, we must all now hate every Italian for not letting these people into their country. That's their country. They do what they want with their people and their tribe. If, if 
if you truly stuck by that philosophy, you're not going to mind me showing up to your house and saying, I need something to eat. You don't know me from Adam. You've never met me. Let me come on in, sit at your table and sit on your couch, eat your food and hang out with your family. You don't want that. It's tough because, you know, part of me thinks, and I don't mean this to be judgmental towards the Libyans who are in a tough situation, right? Like oh, we know 100%. that's a situation. But maybe it's because we're Americans and we're born out of rebellion, right? Like the reason we exist is because we're like, you oppress me, don't tread on me, bro. You know, I mean, that's who we are. Mm -hmm. And so we see, uh, you know, part of me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but part of me sees, you know, why are you running away from your country instead of fighting to fix it? You know, and I don't mean that in a judgmental way or a harsh way. Oh, and I don't understand not. the situation there. You know, I'm not there, so I don't know. And it might be worse than, you know, but but that's the way that I see it, where it's like if you're, you know, you know, when I see, see all these refugees leaving Syria and, you know, like, sure, send the women and kids to where they can be safe. You know, you do what you got to do. But men, step up and fight and turn your country back around, you know. But that's because as an American, that's the mindset where it's inbred. That, that is, you know, that's that. our culture. Culture, right? They say America doesn't have a culture, but our culture is, uh, and I don't know if I swear on the podcast, but it's F you make me. That's American culture, right? <laughs> right. That's right. The, that's that, that is the one unified church that everybody in America belongs to is <laughs> F you make me. Right. 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 It's totally true, though. You know, and so for me, you know, I look at that situation and I, I see it a little differently. And at the same time, you know, I, I have empathy. I feel bad for that kid. And, you know, I, I wish there was some better options for them that they didn't have to, feed. you know, it's like these people coming over the border from Mexico right now, you know, it's like, you know, that's horrible. I feel really bad that you're having to come from South America and you're risking your life to try to find freedom, you know, like I'd love to see a plan and a way that you could do this, you know, without dropping your kids off and then leaving them, you know, <laughs> something's not right. Exactly. You know, that's but don't get mad at me because I say, well, I'm not feeding you. <laughs> right. You've got that. You have that right to say that, you know? Yeah. But that's what, that's, that's where we're at. Well, well, you're, you're not going to be empathetic to these people. Oh, I'm empathetic. I mean, believe me, I've been friggin' homeless. I will be empathetic with people that don't have a place to go or, or, or are worried about whether they can feed their kids or not. I've been there, but that still doesn't make it my obligation to take in every single stray. And I, it may sound derogatory to say it that way, but I don't take in every dog, cat, you know, wounded squirrel to take care of. And I don't take in random strangers that I see panhandling, you know, down on the corner. I don't take them in and bring them to my house and give them clothes and food and all this other and make it my responsibility. Especially if that was, if I had the power to do it, would I do something to help them? Sure. You know, but I'm not going to take care of someone else who is not a member of my tribe if it's going to be detrimental to the structural integrity of my own people in my own tribe. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the key because I'm okay with helping somebody, especially kids. You know, I'm like I don't want to see these kids suffering. You know, so I'm like, hey, you know, here's a kid. Let's take that kid in. Let's take care of that kid. Make sure that kid's not forced into human trafficking or something horrible. You know, that's different. But, um, you know, when I look at just this idea that we should allow people to come in and take over, no, like we need to have a better system here. This isn't working, you know? And yeah, like you said, the homeless people on the street. Yeah. You know, I, I'll give five bucks or go buy you a sandwich or put gas in your car, but you're not going to come stay with me. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, I've got a teenage daughter at home and I want to keep her safe, you know? Right. You know, I'm not going to help people that are not my people. That's going to be detrimental to my people. You know, it's the trolley question, right? If you have four people on one train track and one person on one train track, train is barreling down and is going to kill these four people. You can't save them, but you can throw the switch and make the train only hit the one person. Do you throw the switch? Most people will go, yeah, because I can save four people, but you're still killing that one. But then they switch it around and they go, well, now you've got these four people over here, same scenario, but instead of this one random dude on the other track, it's your sweet little grandma. Do you throw it? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to let four people die. I, I can't kill my grandma. And there's the other scenario. There's, and it's an outrageous scenario, but this is used by most um, studies for people's stance on morality. And it's usually pretty accurate across all of you know, anybody that does it. Um, there's a huge fat guy and he's sitting on a trestle above the tracks. There's no switch. The train is barreling down and it's gonna hit 50 people and kill them all instantly. And they're all right there. You can stop the train by somehow managing to push the fat guy off the bridge and pushing him down in front of the train. It will kill him, but it will allow the train to stop before it hits those 50 people. Most people will, I, I couldn't push that guy off the bridge because that's like taking an active part in taking someone's life. That's literally me pushing them to their death, right? On all three of those scenarios, I go, uh, depends on if I like them or not. If I like that one more than I like those four, that one's getting saved. If I like those four more than I like grandma, grandma's not going to make it. You know, it depends on does grandma have this uh, view in life philosophy where me and my family are somehow just disgusting, dirty people to her because I allow, you know, or allow like it's something you could allow anyway, just because my son is gay and I don't have a problem with it. Well, grandma can get hit by the train, you know, and. <laughs> I don't think there's a right or wrong way to answer this question, but different people will have these different perspectives on morality. And because whether you like it or not, morality is subjective. Most people don't like to say it is because it's one of those things, well, that's immoral. Well, not to me, it isn't. 
<laughs> you know, um, but nobody likes to hear that their morality differs from someone else's. But that that really is the case, and that's kind of what it all starts with with the identity politics. I think this one choice is immoral. So if you don't check off all of these boxes and uh, uh, abide by all of these rules, well then, because of my standard of morality, you are immoral and I can't have immorality people you know immoral people around me I can't allow immorality to infiltrate my people but that's what it all comes down to yeah that's subjectivity and you know I mean I do think there's some things that are universal and at the same time there are times when even those universal things can be pushed to the test you know like if somebody comes to your you know lying is wrong but if somebody comes to your door and says, where's your wife? And you know where your wife is, but if you tell them they're going to kill her, it's okay to lie. You know, I mean, sometimes there's a place and a time where that subjectivity comes into place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this ridiculous thing. of We're, we're expected to, uh, like I said before, put on this theatrical display that we are all one people. We've never been one people. We don't even have the capacity as humans to go past having 150 relationships that are on some level meaningful. And the that's the Dunbar number. You go any further past that, you know, it's people on the back end start falling off. We've only got a capacity to care about so many people. You know, this this is how we're made. This is our nature. And people say, well, you have to evolve and be more. That's not the, what we're saying. We're saying we don't have the actual capacity, and neither do you, no matter how much you say you do. The woman on TV that they told, and again, they put her story on there that she was raped. That's terrible. And I think if you're a rapist, you should just be eradicated. But by actively caring about that woman that was raped, I was simultaneously not caring about the other 3,000 rapes that happened that same day that didn't get covered by the news because I didn't know about them. It's just one story that was cherry-picked. And it's the same thing for anything going on anywhere that you see pop up on your, your TV screen in the news. You know, I, I remember hearing a lot about the, the things in Rwanda back in the 90s with the uh, Hutus and the Tutsis, you know, the, the massacre between those two tribes. At that exact same time, there was a civil war going on with the Russians and the Czechs that was even more brutal that barely got any coverage at all. So are you going to accuse those people that cared so much about the tragedy and the atrocities that were happening in Rwanda of not giving a crap about what happened to the Chechens and the Russians in that civil war? And what was I think it was 94? No, you can't. But the reality of this and the whole point of that scenario is that caring about someone and loving someone is an active thing. And you only have so much bandwidth to do it in. It's like butter on toast. Too much bread and the butter runs out and it becomes insignificant. You, it's like you love your wife and your kids more than you love your best friend. Right? If you stopped being around your wife and kids and spent all of your time, as much time as you spend with your wife and kids with your best friend and reverse those roles, 
you wouldn't help it, but you would start to love your best friend more. And that's just the way we work as humans. But we have a capacity that no matter what kind of theatrics we're expected to put on or uh, virtue signaling politicians, you know, or even the random Karens on social media say, well, I'm starting a fundraiser for that disenfranchised Amazonian tribe that doesn't have iPhones. What, whatever, you know, it makes her feel good because they're more exotic and more unheard of. It makes all the rest of her uh, Karens, the, you know, the ladies who eat lunch and cob salad every Tuesday at at, at that fancy restaurant, uh, you know, well, I need to find something to start one for so I can feel as virtuous. It, it, it's pluralistic and it's uh, it's. It's a competition for status based off of shallow virtue. And that's all it is. It's nothing more than theatrics. Hmm. Jeff, I like to ask this question of all of my guests. What, what's your best advice for the men that are listening? You know, it's sexy to be uh, the lone wolf. Right. That's what we're told. You know, the, the John McClain, you know, taken down Nakatomi Plaza by himself. You know, the John Wick or that um, whatever, that, that lone, somehow damaged anti-hero who don't need nobody. You're, a, you're still a human and you're a eusocial creature by the very basis of your DNA. You are meant to be a part of a tribe. Your tribe can be four people. Was well, it like uh, the, the movie Young Guns? You know, he says, uh, you get yourself four or five good pals and you got a tribe. And there's nothing stronger than that. But you need a group of men that share your values and the same kind of drive for whatever it is you want to do as far as improving, making your your community or families or whatever it is better. You need to find people that share in those same values and connect with them and build meaningful relationships with them. Because that's the problem with most men today is they're too isolated from the brotherhood and camaraderie that comes with having somebody to say that that's actually my best friend and it's not just the guy I work with because if you didn't work there you wouldn't be his friend anymore you wouldn't hang out anymore if you stopped working at that place you need brotherhood stop thinking you can do everything alone because yeah you need to be able to stand on your own but you're half living, you know, you're, you're a shell and you're sitting there on the couch watching these competitive team sports and you're living vicariously through them and you stand up and you go, we did it, we won. It's because you have this need to belong to it and you didn't even realize it. Find a group of like-minded men or create one. If there's not one, create one and start at least a group of guys because men need other men to talk to, to interact with, to engage with in meaningful things and bullcrap things. 
we need to go and blow stuff up and throw rocks off the bridge as much as we need to sit down and say, man, my wife is getting on my nerves. What do you do when your wife does X? Or, hey, man, you've got kids. I am terrified. My wife is getting ready to have our first. You need a group of, hey, guys, I don't really know who else to tell this to, but I'm addicted to porn. I can't stop, and now I can't get it up with my wife. What the hell do I do? You guys have the same problem? Help me. You can't say that to your wife, babe. I can't get it up for you tonight, not because I'm tired, but because I've been watching, you know, uh, college co-eds do Dallas or whatever. You need brothers. There's no bond stronger than a group of brothers, whether it's by genetics or just by, you know, spiritual brothers, men that connect on a level. You've all met, everybody who's listening to this has met that one dude. You're like, I would fight tigers with toothpicks with this guy by my side. You need that. And you're not able to just say, well, you know, I'm married. I've got nine kids and a wife. And last year I flew to Florida to hang out with 50 dudes. Okay. Make it a priority because you're you're not being the man that you can be for your kids or for your wife or even for yourself if you're trying to do everything solo and you don't have a group of other men to connect with. Because one thing about uh, improving is that if it's measured, it will improve. You, know, you measure your weight loss, you'll get better at weight loss. Well, the only thing men can measure themselves against is other men. You need those examples. And what the bull crap you see on TV is not it. You need, you need to be able to compare yourself and engage with other men living real lives just like you. And your shortcomings will be something that they can help you with. And their shortcomings will be something you can help them with. And you build each other up together because it's a rising tide and that raises all ships. So seek brotherhood, build a tribe, find people that are like-minded and share in your values that you would be willing to go to war with if you had to, because you need that. Every man does. Jeff, that's some fantastic advice. And I know that that's honestly, dude, I'll agree with it wholeheartedly, man. That's what's made the difference in my life is having those guys. You know, I've got a group of a, a group of guys in my own life that are like that. I know I could say anything to. And if I didn't have it, man, that's, there's no way. And when, and when I pull away, you know, when stuff gets hard and you start to self-isolate those moments, dude, that's when I'm at my worst. So 100% I agree with you there, man. So, uh, dude, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Why don't you tell our listeners the best way if they want to follow what you're doing, pay attention to the stuff you're creating, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Easiest way, you go to my website. Um, it's jeffputnamauthor.com. Uh, on there, you'll have uh, little social bar links where you can connect with me on Twitter. It's uh, at rugged underscore legacy or Instagram. It's also there as well. Same The same handle at rugged underscore legacy. Um, links to my books are on there. Links to the, the YouTube show uh, and the podcast episodes are all on there. Um, other than that, unless you move to upstate South Carolina, <laughs> I don't think there's a better way to connect with me. Awesome. Well, if you are in upstate South Carolina, give this guy a call, right? 
<laughs> yeah, man. Awesome. I'm always down to go do, you know, ice baths and throwing axes. Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> hey, man, I really appreciate you being on the show today, man. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. Hey, if you appreciate Jeff's insights, please make sure you go follow him on Twitter at Rugged Legacy. You can check out his grooming supplies and his book, Empire Divided and The Perimeter. You can get those on Amazon right now. So please, let's support Jeff and what he's doing. You'll also make sure that you can support us here at Manlyhood. So if you go to manlyhood.com slash store, you can get some of our Manlyhood gear that we've got. You can also see more of what we're doing at Manlyhood with the Manlyhood Man Cave, which is our private Facebook group where you can level up as a man, uh, be connected with a tribe of brothers who want to see you grow, who will encourage you, help you solve your problems. We build each other up in the Manlyhood Man Cave, so I highly encourage that you check it out. Thank you again for tuning into this podcast. I love you guys. I care about you, and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.